Due to special circumstances, the morning show will not air today. In its place, please stay tuned for a broadcast of Agenda for a Better Community, a thoughtful discussion between Dr. Larry Boss and Paul Schreiner about the issues and candidates which are driving our upcoming elections. It also asks, who are we as a community? This is 103.1 WVLP, and this is Agenda for a Better Community. Welcome to ABC at Noon. This is Paul Schreiner. I am here with Larry Boss, and we are broadcasting live from the WVLP studios on uh, West Lincoln Way in Valparaiso, Indiana, 103.1. Larry, how you doing? I am doing fine. Uh, ABC at Noon is broadcast every other week at noon. Typically, Larry and I pre-record this show. We're, do, we're doing it live today, so we're, we're kind of on the bubble. Uh, and it is rebroadcast every Tuesday at 5 o'clock. So, Larry, what's on the agenda for today? Well, um, you know, this the ABC, if people don't know what that is, we're talking about a, 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 an agenda for a better community for the city of Valparaiso. A group of citizens got together over a year ago. And sat down and said, you know, what are the issues that should be driving the next election that comes up here? And again, the election is coming up here in November, which is three months away now. Uh, at that time, it was a year, over a year away. And we said, what are the issues? And we sat down, we met for quite a long period of time over time and came up with what's called the ABC, an agenda for a better community. Uh, you can get that at uh, abcvelpo.org. You can go there online. Right and now. Get, and right now and get it. It might help, actually, if you want to follow along a little bit with what we're going to be talking about here, too. But again, it's it's the efforts of a relatively small group of people uh, to say, here are some issues. These are not the only issues. These are not the uh, you know, we saw this as a dynamic document, too. That is that, that as we went along, we could add, subtract things, subtract things, and hoping for generating a good deal of dialogue on these particular kinds of, uh, of issues. So, Larry, let's talk a little bit about municipal elections. It's 2019. That's an odd number. People don't think about voting on odd number years, do they? I don't think about it odd, odd or even. I don't think about it in those terms, yeah. but I, I know what you're talking about. I mean, yeah, voter turnout right. on, on presidential elections tends Correct. to be as robust. It's hard to watch any cable t news TV program without realizing that there's a presidential election coming up in 2020, but there ain't nothing between that time. Yeah. And I would, if, if I were to speculate uh, and, and be a gambling person, which I'm not, I would guess that if we went out onto the sidewalk right now and talk to people walking by, a substantial portion, if not the majority, would be unaware of the fact that we will be electing the leaders of this community in three months. I'm speculating on that, but I don't see a, a groundswell of um, preparation, shall yeah. we say. I think, you know, if I look at the Facebooks and web pages of 
uh, the candidates. I think there's been a lot of canvassing going on, so there may be some there may be. Uh, alert right. to that kind of stuff. But uh, but you're right, the man on the street, the woman on the street, the person on the street certainly is not aware. These are these are not important things to them, as long as you know. Yeah. You know, my my garbage gets picked up, and we can get rid of some of these potholes. You know, I'm you know I'm going to keep on going. I think uh, who was the political Italian political philosopher who wrote the Machiavelli? Machiavelli. Machiavelli. Machiavelli was right that people are focused on their own lives, and political leadership is not typically the centerpiece of that. Better be careful how far you want to go with with supporting Machiavelli's. Oh, I'm not supporting Machiavelli. (laughs) I I just said I wanted to you know make sure you don't go too far down that road because. Although because political philosophers had nothing else to do, but I remember in graduate school arguing about he really wasn't that bad. Okay. Really? Now I didn't argue that, but everybody there was a lot of. Well, Larry, which direction do you want to go to start this show off? Um, you know, you said too. You talked about uh, the, the elections. I think we ought to remind people we're going to elect an a mayor. Elect a mayor. Get this. Trying to talk Italian, like you suggested here. Talk elect, elect a mayor uh, this year. We're going to elect a clerk treasurer. We're going to elect two city council persons at large and then five from the resting remaining districts in the city. So and those are all the elected people in the city administration. That's correct. But there are a lot of other people that work for the city that we don't vote for. Who, who chooses those po- folks? Well, according to if – you, if you go to the city's webpage and there's a, there's a button there towards the bottom, well-hidden – uh, it gives you a, a, a link to a list of what the functions of these people are. And it's quite clear that the, the chief executive is the mayor and who, who basically uh, appoints these people. And uh, as in most places in Indiana, these are at-will appointees. I mean, I think the, the, the Constitution, is, the Supreme Court has stepped in here and said, you know, can't require for political reasons the First Amendment kind of issue. But for the most part, you know, these people are liable to uh, – their jobs are uh, dependent upon who, who the mayor is in some respects. You know, they're pretty pr- more protected than they were. When, we first, when I first moved to Indiana, I mean, it was just, you know, uh, everything was on the table. But again, the Supreme Court has stepped in and, and protected some of these things against purely partisan removals. So, and, and I think we should also add that the people that the mayor elects, some of them are in positions that allow them to spend tax money. Absolutely. I mean, the Redevelopment Commission has a huge pile of cash, and it's not autonomous, but it certainly has more control than you or I have over uh, our tax dollars. So who we elect for mayor and city council members impacts dollars and cents. And to keep, keep in mind, you know, the way the federal government is set up, it's set up so we're, we don't elect everybody at the same time. I mean, we have, of course, the House of Representatives, they're up every two years. But the right. Senate, we have staggered uh, across a, a time period. So you, you're never going to get a complete turnover like it's possible right now. Well, we could get... Uh, in fact, we should review the candidates. Clearly, the mayor is not up for re-election. The clerk, oh, tre- correct. The clerk treasurer is not up for re-election. Correct. Several city council members are not up for re-election correct. to the post that they held before. Correct. 
Um, and there's a whole bunch of new names new, running new for those. New names, new blood. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think, you know, when, before we get into the more specific kinds of issues, uh, you know, that is really kind of a dramatic situation because I think we're talking about the potential for some major changes in here. And if I, when I look at the overall issues in this campaign, I think it boils down, and I think even the Republicans, although they wouldn't admit it straight up, would admit that this is about who we are as a community and who we are going to be as a community. Are we going to continue along the same path, which a lot of people say, yes, why not? Uh, and uh, Or are we going to continue along the same path and then go back and pick up the people we forgot during the last 16 yeah, years? What do, you, what do you mean by that, Larry? Well, I think, I, think the, I think the distribution of goodies from the government has been relatively unequal. Uh, that is that we have uh, a, a wonderful downtown, uh, but if you if you go, you know what has happened to the wages of people in the, uh, that work uh, that work in these restaurants? Uh, data suggests nothing. Okay, data suggests very clearly that the wealthy in this community have done extremely well in the last ten years. You, in fact, documented that, didn't you? I talk about this all the time. Basically, I don't have the figures in front of me right now, but if you look at the top five percent, you know, in the last ten years, their 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 income has increased by almost eighty thousand dollars, and the bottom twenty percent increased by maybe fifteen hundred, maybe eleven hundred. Eleven hundred. That's about all. And so, if you think about that, if you just try to envision the curve that's involved in here, we now have the upper twenty percent of income people in this community control half the income. So the upper, you know, the upper twenty percent, you know, it's half of it, and the bottom twenty uh, percent controls like about three or four percent. We're right? a micro so, micro version of the whole nation. That, in exactly that regard. the case. Okay, but yeah. you know, a lot of our fate is in our own hands at the local level, and I think there are some things that we can start thinking about doing. And I think the the other thing about people, you know, the nature of the community is that. When we start looking at things, and we'll talk about housing, but if we start looking at housing and what's happened and, and, and what's, what's going to probably happen if, it, if this, the, the trend continues here, is that people make it it's difficult to live in this community. So they're, they're priced out. They're priced out. I, you know, I am compelled for those who are listening, and I, and I hope you're out there listening, I am compelled to review who's in office now. Who the offices are? Who who is in office? That okay. Who's on the line to either be reelected or not? I, I think we need to we need to uh, list who's running the city right now because it's going to change. Okay. Uh, and I and I have that list in front of me, and it's interesting because it changes uh, even when there's not an election, but the people who continue to hold office when there are resignations, they determine. Who gets replaced by whom? You understand what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying. Okay, now I'm flipping my legal pad here. Okay, so we have John Costas as our mayor. He is a Republican. Um, some argue that political parties don't mean nearly as much on the, in the local level. I think they have some meaning, however. 
Your thoughts? Oh, I, yeah, I think they do. I think that a lot of the issues at the local level transcend partisan differences. I think it's when you get to the higher level and you start getting you know, social issues, you start, you start to see the division, which is what we saw clearly with the human rights ordinance. Okay, you began to see those uh, clear partisan differences, basically. And Re- I think reflective also, of the national Also, you saw, you saw them on, on uh, tax abatement, although the, the Democrats... On the, except for Mr. Cotton, uh, supported uh, virtually every abatement that came forward. So, you know, so yes and no, but I think you're right. Overall, the partisan, you know, I, I think I give an example that um, um, may or better not give that example. <laughs> okay. There's general agreement. I didn't want, want to mention names on the air. Picking up the trash is a bipartisan issue. Fixing the streets is a bipartisan issue. Although, yeah. which streets you fix, which streets you fix, may be reflective yeah. of of something that transcends nonpartisanship. The clerk treasurer, who plays a role that most people don't understand, is Sharon Swihart. Sharon has been clerk treasurer longer than John Costas has been yep. mayor. She came into office during David Butterfield's administration. I don't know how early in his administration, but she is retiring after at least 20 years, maybe 24 years. And generally, she's regarded highly by the community as doing a good job. Yeah, and I think if you go to city council meetings, you recognize questions come up, and she's the institutional memory. Okay, that's that was my experience with with watching some of the things that happen at city council. And that's an important function to have. It is. When you're going to get a rapid change of a lot of people. And and this election could erase a lot of that. That's correct. And then we have... Um, can, I, can I point out, you know, when you go to the city's webpage, uh, there's a, a button there. Again, you can... It goes to the the structural characteristics of the city government and talks about the three parts of government... And they refer to the clerk treasurer there as one of the parts of government. Really? As the, yeah, it's an interesting way that's put. Is she's the city fiscal officer, okay, and constitutes a quote-unquote separate branch of government. I don't think it operates that way. You know, as a political scientist, I know there's a big difference between what's on paper and how things actually operate. But I, th- I was kind of um, struck by the fact that the— re- So the, what are the three parts must be the executive, yeah. the fiscal officer, and the legislative. Right. There's no ju- judicial, no judicial in city government. Okay, I guess maybe they had to say we had to have three parts. Yeah, I, I <laughs> so guess. we're going to call that a third one. Okay. So, so then the the third part would be the the city council, and that is a deliberative body. That uh, you can talk about its function in a minute. I'll run down who's sitting there. Uh, there are five districts and two at large seats on the city council. Diana Reed is in District 1. Do you know where District 1 is, Larry? Is that District Hill, 1? Is that Hilltop? Oh, I had the map in my mind. It is the one that covers the lower part of the city. Close to Highway 30. Around there. Okay. Um, now that I say that, I... I, I uh, well, District 2 is sort of, Robert Cotton. Sort of the heart of the city. Yeah, that's north of Lincoln Way. Yeah. Uh, and both of them are Democrats, uh, although they don't always agree. District 3 
a Republican, Matt Murphy, who is the candidate for the Republican Party for mayor, and I don't know where District 3 is. Larry's got it. My, my, my vision is, I'm losing, losing my vision here on that. Okay. Okay. I, I, yeah. I used to be able to tell you all, all that That's all right. stuff. That's all right. District 4 is Lenore Hoffman. Uh, I know Lenore lives on the north side, yeah. towards the west. Yeah, up in the, the uh, post office area yes. over, over in that particular And she is a Republican. Uh, District 5 is George Douglas. And George was appointed by Mayor Costas to his position, I'm thinking, two years ago to replace um, an individual who resigned, whose name eludes me right now, but he was another Republican. Oh, Balker, John Balker. John Balker, that's right. And that's District 5. Uh, the two at-large candidates are Deb Porter, a Democrat, and Holly Howe, a Republican. And Holly was appointed to replace the departing former uh, district is this assistant district attorney prosecutor assistant prosecutor assistant prosecutor what was her name um, Tr- uh, Hudson Tr- Trisha H- Trisha Hudson right so so we have we have three Democrats and four Republicans uh, if you look at the history of the votes it isn't always four to three there have been votes that have gone four to three with the Republicans being in the majority. But in many cases, it is six to one with uh, only Robert Cotton uh, taking the standalone vote. So that's who's our government right now. All of the seats are being contested. At times, that is not the case. At times, there'll be a candidate on the right or the left who will be unopposed. But in this election, they're all uh, up for up for grabs. Yeah. Go backwards here. That District 3, then, is sort of the, the near north side of town. I mean, I'm the near north side. The near um, west side of town that goes all the way down uh, on the other side of 30, way, way down there. And it go, extends the way pretty far through the north side of the town, or to the east side of town. So are we in uh, District 3 right now? I don't know where we are. Paul. Okay, Larry, you don't. We, we don't need to dwell on yeah, that. I can't. I can't. I, I don't know where the lines are exactly. That, that's just a general, general. But I know you were going to ask me that question. I were prepared. I know. For it. I know. So those are our existing candidates. Um, of those, Holly Howe is running for re-election. Um, George Douglas on the Republican side is running for re-election. Those are the only Republican candidates running for re-election. Did you, did you disagree with that? No, no. Now, Matt Murphy, who is on the council, is not running for re-election for councilman. He's running for mayor. On the Democratic side, Diane Reed is running, Bob Cotton is running, and those are the only Democrats running for re-election. Well, that's two out of three. But we're going to have a large turnover in mm-hmm. this election, so we're going to we're going to see a lot of change. 
Well, may, change in faces, um, depending on how the outcome comes, we may not see much change at all. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Now, we would really like to review who these candidates are, and most importantly, what they stand for politically. But we're, we're having a hard time doing that, aren't we? We are do, have a hard time doing it. And I, and I have to, uh, I noticed that the, uh, the t- local Times did a survey in, um, for the primary and sent out questionnaires to all these candidates, and most of them didn't respond to the survey. And, uh, and you know, I, I, maybe, it's, maybe it's too early in the minds of people, but we looked at uh, Facebooks and tried to find web pages for all the candidates. And uh, while they all have some kind of Facebook page, there's just not much detail there. For mo- I should say for most of them. A couple people do have some stuff, and we'll talk about uh, some of the people who do. But um, The Facebook stuff is chatty. Correct. It might be who they're married to. It might be a picture of an event that they attended. But But there's a section of press about. I always went to that. Yeah, and 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 it's blank for for a good deal of opportunity. When you get to position on issues, which is what ABC is all about, um, there's very, very little available online for the public to access at this point. So... Yeah. Ultimately, it's the goal of ABC, of this show, to get these people to respond to the issue questions. Yeah. And what we're going to do is we're, we, we've done it for the last several shows is offer an invitation to any of these candidates who want to come on the program and talk about the issues. Uh, you are welcome. Four seven six nine thousand is the number here at the station. Uh, and Or you can grab Paul and I at some particular point in time. Um, or anybody who's filling with the radio station and get connection. Uh, and we would love to have you. In fact, we're going to make some formal uh, invitations shortly to to make sure that people have an opportunity to come on here and talk. I mean, uh, here's an opportunity, <coughs> free opportunity to uh, present your, your, your issues to the public. We will invite every candidate to at least have a half hour on – one of several vehicles that Larry and I share on the radio. We will inform the public of those invitations. And we'll, we'll, inf- well, if the people are on the radio, everybody will know it. And if the guest has declined, we'll indicate that. But we will be nonpartisan in our invitations. Is that yeah, fair? I think it's fair to say. And we, you know, during the uh, primary, uh, uh, we did a, uh, a quote-unquote, a debate, I thought call it a discussion, between Durnell and Deb Porter, right. which I thought was very, very well. Um, and I got a lot of comments on it. At least some people listened to it. And I think that it was a, a good discussion. And the reason why we didn't have any Republicans because there was no there was no contest in that right. situation. Right. Uh, and so that was a, an opportunity for both of them to, to talk about what they, what they, what they believe in. So where would you like to go from here? Uh, well, you uh, sort of opened the door and then you closed it a little bit. And in terms of what about, what about some of the functions of the legislature? And as seeing as I went through these <laughs> to look at this, I thought yeah, let's I look like at that. that. You know, and and I'm not going to go through all of them because under the basic statute, there are 65 things. Where'd you find this, Larry? Hmm? Again, you go to the Bellport you know, the City web page, and I think it says. I can't ordinances and 
something like that. If you follow that, those links, it'll it'll get there. Okay, it'll get there. I'm all, I, I think it's interesting because I think that these, I think a lot of this stuff is just a foundation and have been expanded upon by other ordinances and things like this. But this gives you some kind of of an idea. And I'll just go through and pick out some of them, uh, one of which is protect all city property, which makes sense. Declare what constitutes a nuisance and provide for its prevention and punishment of any person creating a nuisance. I love that because uh, having taught con <laughs> law for, you know, for 40-plus years, that those, those statutes are suspect. Or that, let's put it this way, under the old court, statutes like this were suspect because they were so broad that they could, you know, I mean— the way you drive, you can, you know, you know, whatever, you know, everything's a nuisance, basically. Um, and I always think about when I was when I was in graduate school, that um, every time that they had uh, a, um, I was at Kent State, and every time they had a demonstration, most of the most of the real rebel rousers were were not there. They were they were in jail, <laughs> okay, because they they were causing a nuisance. And so, you know, these were kind of you know, statute they could do. Well, it's interesting that we have an example of that just this last week, but it wasn't the city in action. It was the county in action. When that piece of property on the corner of Locust and Union Street was declared unfit for habitation, that apartment building. Are you familiar with that story? Yep. The, the, The county health department came in, and apparently they had the power to shut that building down and insist that all those residents move out. So, Based on what you're talking about, the city had the same ability. Well, you know, I couldn't find one exactly like that, but it says they had the right to compel occupants of unclean places to cleanse them, uh, the jurisdiction being four miles beyond the corporate limits. Really? <laughs> so they have they have this somewhere. Again, I think we've talked about this before. I think in that situation, the county health department certainly has a, uh, a greater interest and a greater history of doing those kinds of things. And probably like more resources. Yeah, more resources. We have a whole county health department, basically. Right. What else we the have? The other one will, will, will interest you, given some of your actions. Number 11, prevent or regulate use of firearms, fireworks, and the like. That's now, interesting. Yeah, and again, let's, let's be very careful about this because at the bottom of this whole thing it says this does not include the fact that some of these may have been changed at some particular point in time. So at least at some particular point in time. The city was vested with the ability to control firearms. And, and we know now that the state legislature has precluded that. And here's one that applies to you, I think, Paul. Require owners of real estate to cut and remove weeds and other rank vegetation growing on property. We know that the city has personnel that drive around with um, doorknob attachments that indicate that your grass is too tall, you need to cut it. They do that. And and for what it's worth, I, I kind of appreciate it in a way. I don't like it when I get one, but... <laughs> okay. But I, mean, I think people don't know Paul does have... Uh, part of his, his function in life is to, con, to, to take care of a, a lot of housing oh. units in the city. I, I, and, I, yes, and, um, it's part and of And therefore, uh, he, gets, he gets the notification for doing this. Now, if I don't know how many more you want to read, but... What would you say the number one purpose of the city council is? 
Um, I'm digging here, but I know the answer. Well, I, I would say, despite the fact that the clerk treasurer's fiscal manager, I would say control the budget. Control the budget. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I think that that would be probably... Uh, I think the clerk treasurer plays the role of accountant and information provider. Yeah. I think when... That's this, why this is, this is sort of like, you know, um, taking an old constitution and reading it and, and not having any idea what the interpretations have come. One of the things, and I, I don't want to be partisan about this, but recently and we had con, I had con, Paul, uh, Rob, Robert Cotton on Conversations and Community Voices, and one of the things that he talked about in his, program, in his proposal was to, to use the, county, the city council more aggressively than just a rubber stamp. He said there's a whole body of things that they can do. So he's thinking about, you know, expanding on these things and, and making sure that the city is a city council is a much more aggressive uh, institution than it has been in the past and, and look into some of these things. He experienced something in the last couple of years that set him off on this track, and that was that the council vested the power of the agenda in the hands of the mayor such that in order for a council person to say, hey, here's something I want to do, the mayor had to put it on the agenda, effectively giving the mayor the veto power ahead of yeah, well, you, the agenda. You, know, you have to get three members of the council to override that and get it on the agenda. Right. So it's uh, one of the things that um, I want to talk about him. He, he uh, Robert Cotton, I think, is, is, is infamous for long statements and um well you're being polite <laughs> going on for a long time and, and in, in the process of interviewing me he said i'm changing my strategy and i have summarized my position as the, as the word patty p-a-t-i number one is process and then that was the thing he talked about right. process i remember hearing that interview access okay increase access and transparency right and inclusiveness and so I, I pointed out not just because of uh, Mr. Cotton's position on that, but there will be something for the rest of the, the candidates to think about is somehow meaningful, meaningfully summarizing your perspective so that people can take part in this thing. One of the problems with modern elections is we've got too many things to do. The job of the candidate here, I think, is to take the issues and simplify them in, in terms that the average person can understand them. Okay, and that, that would, this would be a good model to follow. Not that you have to use any kind of acronym, but I mean that this would be the way to to get people engaged. All, all process, access, uh, transparency, include well, those make sense to me. You know, uh, rather than reading all this other stuff. Okay, is it possible that some candidates would prefer to not delve into the issues like that? Oh. And to just rest on the laurels of the previous administration or the political party label? Well, I, you know, it may be too soon to make that judgment, but given what we've seen so far, uh, the comments by the people on the Republican side have pretty much been, let's keep, the, let's keep things going the same way. Okay. okay? And, if they, and if they do make other comments, uh, well, we can back to that, but then it's, it's basically uh, increase... Uh, entrepreneurs increased uh, the uh, middle class housing and things like that and that's more of the same 
You're for listening. example, let me just read a statement from Matt Murphy. As mayor, I will focus on cultivating a climate that attracts young families and entrepreneurs who will buy homes and put down roots in our city. A strong middle class and job opportunities will foster home ownership and keep property values strong. Okay, I mean, who's going to argue with that? Right. I'm not going to argue with that. But, right. but again, I think it sends a message that what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a situation to bring in middle class people. Okay, and and uh, to me that says, to the exclusion of taking care of the people who are here at this particular point in time. Uh, and and to, to contrast this, and, and I don't have a lot of resources on this, Bill, Bill Durnell's number one statement when he talks about his vision, I have four points, but one, open the city to new voices. Yep. Uh, then he says, local, support local businesses, strengthen neighborhoods and not-for-profits and find a way to be a sustainable city. And all those things beg questions. But certainly the first one is an opening up of the city to others. To other voices. As, as contrasting uh, Mr. Murphy's uh, seemingly, uh, let's keep things going the way they are. Yeah. And again, this was introduced you introduced us by saying that there are some people of vested interest in not perhaps talking about other issues. Uh, because they're running on the fact that things are fine and we're going to go ahead and do right. the same kind of thing. That's what it is. I think it's also interested, too, that this sort of gets into the kind of things we can talk about ABC, um, but when you cite Durnell's thing there, the next thing, when he talks about that, he talks about Belpo Next. Okay, he talks about Belpo Next is the primary citizen engagement platform for city residents, he says. Okay, that's very interesting because I think the current administration has sort of downplayed. The, the initiators of Belpo Next. They initiated it, which was a wonderful thing to do, but I think it's maybe it went too, a little bit too far, and, uh, uh, you know, and then you put the squash on it, okay? Um, you are listening to Larry Boss right now. This is Paul Schreiner, and the show is ABC at Noon. We're a little more than halfway through this week's show, which will be rebroadcast, in case you tuned in late, tomorrow at 5 p.m. Okay, Larry. Are we going to rebroadcast Thursday morning? This is a... I don't think we've started that yet, have we? Okay. We were thinking about it. We okay. were thinking about it once we get the candidates on board okay. to talk to us. Well, I mean, because the morning show is not oh, on. We Paul have... and I are discussing something unrelated to the program. <laughs> but that's okay. It is. Uh, just so you know, we do a morning show every day, Monday through Friday, and it's a reading of the news. But the two readers are going to be unavailable on Thursday. And we propose repeating this show in lieu of the morning show. So people who want to listen to the morning show absent Chris Popello can do that. <laughs> okay. People get up in the morning and say, I wish I could have morning show without having to listen to Chris. Okay. All right, Larry. We uh, can conduct all of our detailed administrative business on live on the we air. We probably shouldn't do that. Okay. ABC, Agenda for a Better Community. If I count, there's probably 50, 60 issues outlined here. If you had to pick the hot ones out of the, I think there are seven areas that are covered. Some have 10 or 12 sub areas. Some have only three or four or five. But if you were to pick the hot ones, which ones would you pick? Which ones are going to be contentious issues in this election? 
I think that's pretty hard for me. It's there's one and two. Uh, assuring a welcome community for all and assuring availability of quality uh, housing for uh, all income levels. And I, I've already said I think the major issue in this campaign is about who we are as a community. So I'm leaning towards assuring a welcome community for all. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm putting a little bit different twist on exactly what this says, but I think, I think what that's the basic the fundamental debate is: or who, I, who are we as a community? I mean, are we a welcome community and a community that welcomes all people and also wants to take care of all the people in this community? Okay, or are we a community that's exclusive? Okay, that wants to be very careful about the the, the people who come into this community. We want to create housing so that middle-class people come into this community and we take care of the middle-class people and we forget the rest of, uh, of the people. So I, I think that then all of a sudden that opens the door for housing. So I think this is, a, to me, it's a battle who we are. Who are we as a community? The idea of assuring a welcoming community sounds rhetorical. Are there, are there action items that could engage city government from from that, I mean, clearly the implication that housing is a part of it lends itself to action. But what would we be asking of the mayor and the city council if these two things are in fact the 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 platforms over which our candidates disagree? Well, you know, it's this is not listed under ABC, but uh, the Community Research and Service Center wrote a report for the city prior to the Costas administration for the Butterfield administration because we had all kinds of race problems. This was the research center that you headed up at Valparaiso Correct. University yeah. for some 25, 30 years. Yeah, something like that. I'm still sort of sort of in, involved in it. Um, but one of the suggestions we made then was that if you look at cities who are successful in integrating the changing diversity in a the population, they sit down and have conversations about this, and they prepare the way for the change that is coming. Okay. Well, that got a few blips, and there was some movement for a while, but it died really quickly and has never been followed up. So, so you know, it, this is 20 years later, okay? I think I, I still have the same kind of thing. We need to have you know, conversations about race and diversity in this community. And I know you're engaged in one of those right now, Paul. But you're saying that these conversations should be initiated and led by the city. By the city. Yeah, because what, what happened when th that they were done, they were done, uh, the Community Recent Searching Center, which had a subgroup called the Community Outreach Partnership Center that had money. Okay, and we had a person who was hired, and her job for a year was full time to run these things, and was good. Once that grant ended, there's nothing to do. I mean, there's no way to run, uh, uh, you know, 14 or 15 groups across the city at one particular point in time, but without having some kind of financial assistance to do that kind you of stuff. You need staff. You need staff. Yeah. And I and I think this could come from some other places. Okay, but I think the kind of, again, going back to what we've said before, I think if the city took the kind of leadership and vision they did to downtown to issues like this, we could become a model of how to handle these particular, and we could have become a model of how to do these kinds of things. But, but that's not been the agenda. It's not been on the agenda. So I'm, so I'm, I'm thinking that um, it's not too late. And I think that the Valpo Next was a start towards that. 
I think well, your discussions that you're having with George Terrell and people with on, on white fragility, creating allies, et cetera, is, is, is absolutely in the right direction to go on these kinds of things. But those are part-time charitable actions. That's right. As opposed to established, <clears throat> funded, and staffed visionary yeah. sorts of efforts on the part of well, the city we, government. The city has a person, a community... Uh, what what her title is, I forget, community organizer, director, or something like that. There would be a logical place to set, set up something like well, that. Well, I think that the intention when the Human Relations Council made the recommendation that that uh, position be created was, in fact, for that to be a part of of her or his job description. And frankly, I, I don't think that manifested itself. Yeah. At least I don't see that in the efforts that I have observed so far. Yep. Okay, so clearly one thing that you're saying would be an issue would be to focus resources and attentions and leadership on this welcoming concept. And that can be very concrete, the way you defined it. Again, it's, it's really housed in the idea of what kind of community are we, okay? And so I, and I would put it in a broader scope than that, but I think, yes. Okay, now the corollary for that is, if you can't afford to live here, it's not very welcoming. So Okay, well, let's put it this way. We know then that we better get the moving trucks up real quick here because the Alice Report says about 43% of the people really can't afford to live here. Back up the trucks. Get them out of here. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what you're saying. I mean, or and I know that the people who are who have been on city council from interviews with them, they, that's exactly the attitude that's been. But 48.5% of the, the renters in this community are, are living on affordable housing. I mean... Uh, living on, in unaffordable in, uh, housing. Yeah, in, in unaffordable housing um, th that they can't afford. And again, what happens, what state studies show is once you're doing that, you spend less on food, you spend less on health care, you, you spend less on everything else, okay? Uh, and so, therefore, it's, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle in terms of, of, of the quality of life for people who already live here, people who are the ones who wait on us at the nice restaurants downtown, people the ones that Strack and Van Til and Target are the ones that wait on us there who stock the shelves. These are the folks right there who, who are who struggling to have, a, have a, um, a good life in this community. And, and there's enough resources to go around. If if the top five percent are made increase their salaries by their income by seventy seven thousand dollars, huh? Come City on. council has no power to impact wages. Yeah, I, I, I okay. Yes, I mean, there's two but, ways to attack. But, but, but again, again, what we're talking about here is applying the same kind of energy and vision that we did the downtown. You can find something. We can cooperate with, again, um, people come into this community, we give them a tax abatement, and then they go ahead and they, they don't pay fair wages, okay? So you're uh, saying, uh, saying step, say, step one yeah. is to embrace the reality, yeah. to acknowledge the reality yeah. of the inequality and the Alice Report and the 48% who live in unaffordable housing. And Valpo next. So step one for the city government or for these candidates is to acknowledge that there is that struggle going on and begin thinking about that challenge in the same way that the previous administration thought about downtown. Yeah. 
I think one of the things that, uh, a quote that I'm, I'm, I hear all the time from some friends of mine, uh, is that people don't want to look at that. They don't want to admit it because if they did, they would have to do something about it. So I think you get this whole continuous denial about race issues, okay? Uh, and, you know, I tell, I tell a story every time I get a chance to tell. When I gave a presentation one time uh, on the bias-motivated incidents in the community and, you know, how many there were and that, you know, there's, this is a frequent occurrence in this community. And the super, assistant superintendent of schools at that time came up to me and he said, um, interesting, but my experience is that those people, when they come into my office, always pull the race card. Well, here you have a, a key person in the city school administration basically, you know, creating an environment that's unfair to people, you know. And uh, so he doesn't, he doesn't see. He's dismissing. He's dismissing. He doesn't see that there is a problem. A he's reality. part of the problem, yeah. yeah. Thank God he's been gone for quite a while. How so, long ago was it? Uh, that was probably the first thing we are doing in the 1920s. 1920. <laughs> <laughs> Only you are long around at that particular point in time. Uh, uh, you know, uh, 2000. Okay, so 19 years ago, 20 years yeah. ago. Okay, so it, it is your contention that the first two pages of the Agenda for a Better Community will probably represent the, um, the focus of debate and I think you're being real, real optimistic. A real what? I think you're being real optimistic that candidates will focus on these issues. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. I, I guess my you're, point this, is you say should. they should focus on yeah. these issues. Again, there's, there'll be a continuous denial that we are not a— You know, we are a welcoming community. In many respects, we're welcoming, okay? Um, but in many respects, we're not. I mean, I've had conversations with people who are in the city administration on issues related to race, and they don't get it. You know, I, I to, told, you know, well, Bill Oding, I said, hey, you know, if you, has your child ever been followed by a cop, you know, uh, by race for racial profiling? Well, of course not. Well, okay. You know, Larry, so, we both know that it is very difficult for a member of the majority to actually perceive what life is like if you are a member of the visible minority. And that that education process is one that is not, uh, uh, not pursued very aggressively by anybody who's a member of the majority for lots of reasons, not the least of which it, it's pretty uncomfortable when you discover oh. the reality of what it's like to walk around it, it being identifiable as an outsider. So, you know, Mr. Oding uh, needs to be educated. Okay, well, this was a long time ago. I, it was, yeah. and 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 we don't know where he, yeah. he's not sitting here, and we should probably not. Yeah, we probably shouldn't, but we did. Yeah, we did. I shouldn't. Yeah, but yeah, it's a reality. So. Anything else? I mean, we want we, well, the housing thing. We didn't, we didn't even get into the housing. Well, you we said, didn't get into the tangibles. Two. We didn't get into the tangibles. Yeah. And but but we we agreed that the first step is to have an administration that acknowledges a deficiency. Yeah. A deficiency in welcoming, and a deficiency in 
a diversity of housing offerings in the community. They, and the current argument from the city administration is we have plenty of affordable housing without even defining what affordable housing is. Yeah. And we've both heard the rhetoric that all housing is affordable depending on how much money you got in your checkbook. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. So where do we go from here in uh, terms I'm of issues? In terms of issues? Issues that jump out as possible. Let me just say, listeners, download abcvalpo.org. Yeah. Read this document. If you do get a chance then to talk to a candidate or to, to go to a forum, you'll have just a bushel basket full of questions that you can yeah. ask. And you don't even have to agree with this stuff. You just have to know that some people are advocating these positions. And the, the, we've talked about the welcoming community and the housing issue. There's also a section on health. There's a section on the economy. There's a section on the environment, yeah. education, and safety. You've got a, a, a news article in your hand. Oh no! I, I was just I was just rearranging stuff on my thing here. Okay. And Bill um, Bill Dornell had a column in the Times on Sunday, um, and he does talk about sustainability. And and, and I, I was thinking about because he doesn't talk about it there. There was a, another article where Patrick Lip is, is quoted about tax abatement. So I think it was going to be a specific issue that comes up. Uh, the, the whole issue of what we're going to do about continuing tax abatement, I think, will be an issue. Uh, whether or not it'll go very far, I think that that falls into, I don't know, the economic section, I guess, we're talking about. It may here. fall into several of them. Yeah, falls because into several of them. What is abated yeah. indicates where one's values lie. Yeah. And, and the, the issue of tax abatements is that the government essentially gives a discount to certain entities. Yeah, like to in, 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 in Sunday's paper again, there was an article about Valpo Grant's tech giant associate tax. Not a very large tax abatement. It's 100% the first year, and, and it goes down by 20% for the next five years. Okay, But I think the common response here, I think this is worth quoting here, Patrick Lipp says, if a tax abatement is approved, it does not negatively impact the city's budget. It's not like, like we're losing money because of the abatement. Well, I don't quite uh, get that. You know, let's assume it. Let's assume it. He, you know, he was quoted correctly. Um, but obviously, if I don't get revenue, if it, they don't pay budget. for it, somebody else is yeah. going to pay for it. I guess the you know, only way you could defend that is say, in the long run, <clears throat> if this guy wasn't going to come here and do this without the abatement. But for the abatement, he comes here. Um, then one could argue over the long term, it, it, it doesn't hurt us in the long term. But in the short term, it certainly does. And again... In the short term, what it does is it yeah. increases the burden on the other taxpayers. Other, other, other taxpayer, right. And that process, <clears throat> well, I don't know that I can speak to that issue, but it, my, my, my guess is a budget is established and the amount of tax per taxing entity is determined and then uh, the uh, appraisal done by the tax people is adjusted <coughs> to produce that income which basically increases your taxes and my taxes 
And again, if you're increasing the assessed valuation, that would help reduce taxes and something like that. In the long but run. But in the short term, it's not a very accurate that's statement. Right. So, but I think I think that's going to be an issue. And I think uh, I don't know who said that, but they they during the Democratic primary, one of the candidates. I mean, the primary uh, primary period, one of the Democratic candidates said that that they should set up a standard that said, but for this, you would not do this. I mean, so in the, the St. Paul's thing, if you don't get this abatement, you wouldn't do this. Okay, if, if that's the case, then maybe we ought to think about giving the abatement, but in that particular case, you know, it's, it gets complicated. They were in the middle of They, were in the, they, they already were, owned or the property and came and back for some more got money. Got the abatement, yeah. Right. And there, there was some, there was a, a local business that was going to move out by the airport there, and they were going to move out by the airport, but sort of applied for an abatement just because they wanted to get an abatement, you know, and, you know, and that, that's not what we want to do, I think. So okay. what do we know about candidates so far and this issue? Well, I think I think Brunel is is probably on 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 the board is saying that maybe this but four is the way to go. That we're going to have to closely examine these kinds of things. He in his his statements he talks about tips uh, as being he quotes the the Ball State study as tips not being uh, as as good as they're supposed to be. So I think he's coming out on side. Let's reexamine this issue very carefully. I think that. Murphy's record speaks for itself. When I was preparing for the uh, Porter-Durnell uh, discussion, and went over the last several years of the city council to look at Deb Porter's votes, and I think that I think it was only one uh, that she didn't vote for. And I, I'm assuming my memory was that almost all the Republicans voted for all of them. Right. Okay. And Bob Cotton was the only one who voted against uh, several of them. So I think. He, he's he's clear on the record. Clearly, Bob Cotton is on the record. Clearly, Mr. Yeah, Murphy is I on the record. I think he's on the record. Record right. is correct. And mm -hmm. we really don't know a whole lot. Well, the Democrats, uh, the other two Democrats on the council, have generally been supportive of most of these tax abatements. True? Yep. Okay. Because um, I'm looking here in uh, Drunello's statement, evaluate and reform development and incentives to assure an adequate return on taxpayers' investments is received. You think that's what he's talking about? That and, and evaluate we, and reform development incentives, which would be an abatement in TIF districts, things like that, to ensure an adequate return on taxpayers' investment is received. Don't we have one example of um, municipal generosity in the building of a building? that completely collapsed. I mean, the building didn't collapse, but the whole, was it the bakery? Oh, that, they just went out of business. But wasn't there another building that was built? And, and, and it collapsed? I, I don't I, know. No, no. I, forget I'm going in that direction because okay. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't there. know, but one collapsed. Okay, so this is an issue that, that was, well, well I think likely. That's a, again, 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 it's not, you know, who's going to, if I'm a Republican candidate running for mayor, I'm not going to say, I support every abatement. You know, I'm not going to say that. No, no. I mean, so I think that the 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 um, ability of that to become an issue is probably not going to – it can be difficult. It's going to be people like us driving that. It's going to be the Democrats driving that particular kind of issue to be an issue. And I think – I, I, I think, you know, again, I don't think we're saying abatements are th some things that we shouldn't use. The uh, developmental incentives are, are important. 
uh, but we got to be careful how we use them, and we got to make sure. As and as as Bob Cotton has said, we need to have some follow through to evaluate yeah. if that entity that is getting the, the the benefit of our generosity is producing the yeah. kinds of wages, the kinds of uh, numbers of jobs that they have uh, boasted that they they will yeah. be producing. You know, we're getting close to the end here, and let me can I say one thing I wanted to say, and that is that. If you go on the web page and look at Durnell's uh, platform on there, it's real fancy. It moves all over the place, stuff like that. Um, and then uh, I, I don't know if Deb Porter still has her up, but Deb Porter's web page during the primary was, I think, even better. It was more detailed, and it was a model, I think, that if the candidates would be wonderful to see every candidate to lay out their positions as clearly as, as Deb Porter did in the primary. Of course, she, she did it and lost. <laughs> okay, so maybe that's why, not why you want to do that. Right. But it would be really nice for a somewhat engaged citizenry to be able to have that to go through. And it wouldn't be too difficult to do. It's not like having to look up everything. Thing. All of a sudden, you push a couple of buttons and you say, here's what I stand for. Okay, or you can use the Bob Cotton model. Here's Patty. You know, here's what I stand for. It's a, an acronym, and that's what you have to know. But right. It would be nice if the people would 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 do that. I think they owe it to the citizenry to be more detailed on the issues. Well, if that doesn't come to fruition, it is part of the function of this radio show to provide that information to our listeners. So we will. As, as we said earlier in the show, we will pursue these candidates and ask them questions, specifically how they stand on issues in the ABC, but also, even without reference to the ABC, what are the issues about which they feel passionate and can, can, can communicate some very specific um, descriptions of, of, yeah. of where they stand. I think this, the thing we talked about having them do, giving them an opportunity to say what they want to say, and then come back and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to ask you about these questions. Okay, Larry, we've got about a minute. Why don't you, while I do this little engineering thing, say something really inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Paul. I, again, I, th I think that Paul started out this whole thing by saying that people, you know, don't vote or not interested in these kinds of things. But this, this is important for your everyday life. Those of you who are renters out there, you're paying too much for rent. The, 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 the data is clear. Uh, those people who are working in these places, you're probably not getting paid uh, enough to, to, that, that people can afford. We need, to, we need to do something about this. We need to basically uh, do something about the kind of community we live in. Thank you, Larry. 